Welcome to the Worldonomics podcast brought to you by the UQES diversity team. UQES would like to acknowledge both Turbul and Jagaran nations, traditional owners and their custodianship of the land on which this podcast is taking place today. We pay our respects to their ancestors and their descendants who continue cultural and spiritual connections to the country. We recognize their valuable contributions to Australian and global society. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Academic Corner. It is a pleasure to have KK Tang, Director of Teaching and Learning at the School of Economics. Welcome KK, could you please introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I'm KK Tang. I'm a professor at the School of Economics. I'm currently the Acting Director of Teaching and Learning. Last year, I was the Deputy Director of Teaching and Learning, as well as the Undergraduate Coordinator. I have been working at UQ since uh, 2000, so it has been over 22 years, so it's a really long time. <laughs> we like to start our interviews with a fun question to get going. So yeah. we'd like to know, if you were stranded on a desert island and could only bring one thing, what would it be? Um, a satellite mobile phone. <laughs> yeah, good answer. Now to get started, we'd just like to talk a little bit um, about the start of your career. So when did you decide you wanted to work in economics? Okay, this is a, is a kind of a long story. My first degree was in physics. Got nothing to do with economics. But after I graduate, finishing my uh, degree in physics, I became a reporter. Initially, I worked for a children newspaper. It's very unusual. It's a newspaper mostly for children. But I only worked for this newspaper for three months. And after that, I moved to a, I guess, more traditional newspaper. It's a financial newspaper. But I worked mostly as a political reporter. In 1992, around 1992, I think, I was sent to China, to mainland China, to report, to cover a, a conference. I can't remember exactly the the title of the conference, I think it's mostly about economics. And on the way to this conference, I met a economic professor from, from one of the university in Hong Kong who also attend the same conference. Now, before I met this professor, I planned to study political science, you know, in the future because I was mostly a political reporter. But this professor convinced me that economics actually you know, will suit me better because of my background in, in physics, which has a lot of mathematics. And he convinced me that that will, you know, give me some advantage in studying economics compared to studying political science. And, and that's how it started. Wow, that's really interesting. And then we saw that you did your PhD at uh, the Australian National University. How was your experience there? That was a, quite a long time ago, as you can imagine. Uh, and back then, the ANU had several economic departments located in different research schools and faculties. So the economic community there was very large and very diverse. I met with a, a lot of PhD students and staff uh, across different research schools and faculties. I attend many of their seminars. So it was a very uh, interesting experience. Um, and also... When I studied there, I also worked as a tutor, just like most of the PhD students. And ANU had a much smaller undergraduate program at that time and compared to UQ. And I know 
you know, because the, the class was very small. So I knew the student in my class really well. And I enjoyed tutoring a lot at that time. That experience actually led me to decide to become an academic after graduation. So I would say, you know, my experience there was, was very good. But living in Canberra was a little bit boring, at least at that time. Yeah, no, do I get that. I Do you think Brisbane's a better location to like work and live than Canberra? I guess as a student, it's, it was a good thing because, you know, that, that forced you to really focusing on studying because there was not much else to do. But, you know, but living there for long term is, is quite a different thing. So I've, I think studying there for a couple of years is, you know, it's good, but that probably would be the max I, <laughs> I would like to stay. Yeah, that makes sense. So the next question is, so we wanted to know, did you start working at UQ right after your PhD? And what was the beginning of your career here? It's more or less, I mean, the job at UQ was more or less my first job. It's not exactly the first job because after I submit my PhD, I worked for a consultancy firm in Canberra while I was looking for a more permanent job. As I mentioned earlier, I decided to, to become an academics. So I applied for a job in many places. And in fact, my first preference was going to another country because by the time when I finished my PhD, I had already living in Australia for about, you know, four and a half to almost five years. And I feel that, you know, it will be good to travel and live in another country. Unfortunately, the only two job offers I got as a lecturer were both based in Queensland. And in fact, both of them based in Brisbane. So I guess I'm, I'm meant to come to Brisbane. The consultancy firm I worked for also offered me a permanent position at that time, but I had already decided to go to academia. So I, I didn't accept their offer. And between the two offers I received, I accept the one from UQ. And that is how, how it started. But actually, I would like to mention one thing. Even though I only worked for this consultancy firm for three months, I think it was a very valuable experience because it, it allowed me to see how you know, professional economists work as compared to academic economists. The way they approach things, I have to say, you know, somewhat different. That makes sense. I had the opportunity to be in Canberra just one day and I would pick Brisbane every day. <laughs> well, but, but I have to say, you, you, you didn't know what Brisbane looked like, you know, 20 years ago. If you knew what Brisbane looked like 20 years ago, your decision may be something different. Maybe different. It was, it, was it much smaller? I remember, the, you know, when, when I, the, the day and I land, the, the secretary of the, the school asked me, do I need anything and she will buy for me because supermarket did not open on Sunday. <laughs> and, and that is uh, something I, I didn't expect at all. And, and most of the shop actually closed sharp on Friday. Brisbane was like uh, 20 years ago. So I arrived in Brisbane three years ago and comparing to coming from brazil i was surprised how early things close and how many things are closed on sunday so i think maybe it, it got better but it's not there yet <laughs> it still yeah, behaves yeah. like a small one 
KK, moving on a little bit. So now at this point, you finished a PhD, you're an economist. How did you decide to become an applied economist? Actually, I, I didn't deliberately choose to become any particular types of economist. I'm just simply interested in um, real-world problems that are relevant to people uh, rather than purely theoretical problem, so to speak. I guess that is very much related to my background as, as a reporter. Journalism is mostly about the reality, not really about theory. But at the same time, I also have the background as a physicist. <laughs> uh, physicists. Even when I study physics, I focus mostly on applied physics rather than theoretical physics. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. And your research focus is, I think it's a, this question is linked to what you were talking about. Your research focus is on health inequality, income insecurity, and trade liberalization. What motivated you to focus on these economic issues? Again, I, I didn't plan to work on any of these topics originally. They kind of came to me, you know, uh, by incidents. Just let me elaborate a bit. Okay, take the health inequality as an example. I think it was about roughly about 15 something years ago. I attended a seminar. The speaker talking about income inequality especially how to measure and compare income inequality across different countries in the world. And from that seminar, I learned that it was very difficult to get good quality individual or household level income data, especially for developing country. But at the same time, I also knew that mortality data is uh, much easier to get. The quality is reasonably good, even for developing country. And at the same time, mortality rate is closely related to income. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe I can study the inequality of mortality as a proxy for income inequality. But once I started to work on mortality inequality, I found that it was very interesting and there's a many issues I can work on. So I end up actually forgetting pretty much about income inequality and focus very much on mortality inequality for quite a number of years. And mortality inequality is, you can think of it as a, a specific aspect of health inequality in the sense that mortality is a specific outcome of health, even though it's a very bad outcome. Um, and after spending several years on working on health inequality or, or mortality inequality, I started to get more exposure to other health economics topics. And so I started to expand my research into, into other health-related topics. So, for example, in the last couple of years, um, I've been working on how health or other condition of a person are affecting the health or other condition of their family members, for example. And the other topics, income insecurity or trade liberalization, they all kind of come incidentally. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you think economic issues of inequality and insecurity are focused upon enough with UQ's curriculum? Now, I don't know the curriculum of all courses at UQ, especially outside of economics. But within economics, I know, you know, courses like the globalization and economics 
have touched on inequality. But I have to say, you know, overall, I don't think inequality or insecurity have been a focus of our curriculum. I hope we can cover more of these topics because they are important, but I don't think, I mean, I should say, I don't know whether it's feasible in the near future, given the resources constraint we have. There's, there's only so many things we can cover within a course. If you put more material on a particular topic, you have to remove the material of other topics at the same time. So there's, there's a trade-off between you know, different topics. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think beginning of the economics course, there's already so much right in the micro, macro and econometrics that, yeah, not, not at least for undergrad, it's, it's a little bit difficult to focus on, on, on a specific topic. KK, I added one question here that you might not have received in, in the prior. It's about the, the, the macroeconomics course on the EDX. I'll, I'll start to ask the question now. You've developed, uh, you've developed UQ's macroeconomic course on the EDX website. How was the experience developing an online course open to the general public? Oh, that is an interesting question. Honestly, at the beginning, I wasn't so sure about whether it was a good idea. For many years, I had the desire to, you know, try to, to do that, but didn't take any action because I was a little bit worried, you know, if things didn't work out, the consequence would be maybe disastrous because it's a first year large class course. So it could affect a lot of students. Uh, but I think it was in 2018, I think, roughly. I was asked to do it, so I had no choice. And, and that actually turned out to be a, a blessing because, you know, since I was asked to do it, I didn't even need to think too much about whether I could do it or not. I just focused all my energy into how to do it as good as I can. And so I work with the people in Italy, the, the Institute of Teaching and Learning Innovations. And we do it through something called the Student Staff Partnership Project. I don't know whether you have heard of it. That is an ongoing thing at UQ. We could a number of students who have done the course in the past, and we work together to turn the material I had already developed from the past into this online material. And this turnout, this, you know, partnership with the student was, you know, a really, really good experience. The student partner I worked with were really, really committed and many of them were really, really talented. And so, and also the people from Italy was extremely helpful, helping out with a lot of technical aspect, creating the video and all sorts of things. And, after we developed this online material, we actually continues to improve on it for the following several years. So as I mentioned, I worked with a group of students initially to develop this material. And then after that, we recruit another group of students to review the material and improve on it. And then after one year, we recruit another group of students who finished the course using this online material and, and then work on how to further improve on the material. So it was not a, just a one-off project. It has been almost like a two, three years project. Even in the late last year, 
I work with another group of students to develop new material and put it on the, the current version of the course website. And I imagine I will continue to, to work with you know, students as well as alumni, actually, to further improve the material for the course in the next couple of years. Yeah, look, I benefited a lot from, from using it. Uh, from what you're describing, I already got it quite far already developed. And I hope you can do this to other topics too. Perhaps econometrics, perhaps I can help. <laughs> as far as I know, the, uh, our school has been doing something similar, may not be exactly in the same format, but we have been digitalized our material. I'm pretty sure Econ 1020 is not the only course. There's already quite a number of courses has been digitalized and the material now available on uh, the new platform is called the LearnX. It is a replacement of the EDX. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's that's I, very interesting. You may not notice because they look almost identical. Actually, they look identical. Uh, the difference between the LearnX and the EdX platforms, uh, the difference actually uh, is at the background. So it's only the programmer know the difference. The user at this stage will not know the difference. Ah, perfect. That's good to know. Thanks for listening in to our latest episode. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to check UQESLs on Facebook and Instagram for our latest events as well as our publications. 